The world that we live in is filled with chaos. We are all searching for meaning in our lives, but we often get lost along the way. We all must ultimately realize that meaning is found in responsibility for our actions, for the way we live our life, and for the people in our lives. We don't have to stay in the chaos. We can choose to bring order to our lives. Join us for a fresh perspective on the practical steps we can take to become who God intended us to be and to realize what our calling is. This is Coming Out of Chaos. Welcome back to the Coming Out of Chaos podcast. My name is Michael Bocklig. I am your host, and I am joined by my co-host and good friend, the subdeacon Bryce Kirk. How are you doing, Bryce? Doing very well, Michael. How about yourself? Doing well, thank you. As usual, Bryce and I are coming to you from the Upper Room at St. Nicholas Orthodox Church here in Springdale, Arkansas, and we're looking forward to another great podcast episode together. We're more than a week into Great Lent at the time of this recording, and I'm sure you'll probably agree with me, Bryce, when I say it's been a very busy start to the Lenten season for both of us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was thinking the other day about how it only seemed like yesterday that we were already, you know, in this period last year. Yeah. And, you know, all the emotions, all of the, you know, the mindset that comes with that. And we just made it through the Triodian, you know, I think before we started recording these latest sessions. Mm -hmm, That's true. Um, And it's just been a crazy two weeks. It's already felt like it's been a month (laughs) of Lent. And I I mean that in absolutely the best way. No, and I'm laughing because I totally agree. I had the same feeling like I felt the first week of of Lent was just, it had to have been more than a week. It felt that way. Yeah, man. And like, you know, last week we had the canon of St. Andrew, Mm -hmm. um, which was... I think we had eight or nine days yeah. of consecutive services. Yeah, it was. There were, I think you're right, eight days in a row or nine where there was a service every single night. Right, which yeah. was a blessing, and it was also a lot to <laughs> uh, a lot to handle at times. But it's a good thing; it gets you ready to go. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of hit the ground running in that respect. And we just finished up uh, pre-sanctified liturgy tonight at our parish, and you know, it's been very good to have these types of services back and to understand the necessity for them and to understand the path that we're going on during the Great Fast. Yeah, I completely agree. And you know, Bryce, we've talked about Great Lent several times in past podcast episodes, and now that we're officially in the midst of it once again, it's hard not to talk about it in this podcast episode. Before the start of Great Lent a couple weeks ago, I was reflecting on my own experiences in recent years in my journey to the empty tomb at Pascha, which again, for our listeners who don't know, is what the Orthodox Christian Church calls Easter. It wasn't until a few years ago, though, as you know, Bryce, that I really started taking my faith seriously, and each year I've learned something new, and different things have been revealed to me each time. I thought about when COVID hit a couple years ago, and that actually happened at the start of Great Lent that year, and what a very different experience that Great Lent was for all of us. Yeah, that one... It was, it almost feels like a bad dream now mm-hmm. because, you know, it was right around the beginning of Great Lent. I think it was right after Forgiveness Sunday yeah. when, you know, cases started coming to the States and, you know, a lot of places started to shut down. Um, we were fortunate here in Northwest Arkansas to never have a government required stay at home order. Um, but even with that, we couldn't go to church till May. 
I yeah. don't believe. Then they limited. I think there were only maybe five people permitted for quite a while to even be in church. Yeah, yeah. And at that time, I had just kind of begun my first transition over to the choir mm. and trying to learn, you know, these services and really had no idea what I was doing. And then after COVID, being able to go back to that and seeing it for what it was, I never took church for granted again. Yeah. You know, like, Michael, both you and I, and this isn't to show you know, how great we are or anything, but we both try to be here as often as we can because Mm -hmm. we remember a time when we couldn't do that. Yeah, and we wanted to, you know, we wanted to, and it was essentially taken away from us. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching the Pascha live stream Mm -hmm. from our parish, you know, we had, I think we had two chanters, our priest, and then we had one altar server. Yeah. And I remember being with some people from our parish and just wishing that we could be there. Yeah. We still did our best to worship online, but... Man, like, and now two years later, mm-hmm. you know, things have ramped up again. We have so many new people to the parish who yeah. are so adamant about being here and attending services and being a part of this whole thing. And, you know, that inspires, I think, a lot of people. Yeah. And, you know, Bryce, I was also thinking about kind of when I was a younger man, and and I've talked to you about this before, just privately, there were so many years that just went by where I didn't take full advantage of the many spiritual benefits that come with active participation in Great Lent as an Orthodox Christian. There were many years that I just completely disregarded the fast. And I'll be honest, I didn't go to very many Lenten services during the week when I was much younger, especially as a young man. As a young child, I did go to some of the Lenten services, such as pre-sanctified liturgy on Wednesday, which we just uh, we just had here at our parish, as you mentioned. But as the son of a priest, I was expected to go to church services, and I wasn't really given an option for my parents. And I look back on those experiences as laying a very important foundation for me, even though I mostly just kind of went through the motions in my younger years. It gave me a good base and important memories and experiences. I ended up needing that base and those memories and those experiences when I got into my late 30s. That's when I experienced a crisis in my life and everything was really starting to kind of come undone, but I knew where to go. I knew that in order to get my life back on track, I needed to find healing in the church. And that's exactly what's been happening in my life ever since then and to this very day, and it's it's not over by any means. As I've said before in this podcast, we all need healing. And it's an ongoing process. These days, the Lenten season means so much more to me. And as I said earlier, each year becomes more meaningful to me spiritually. Yeah, absolutely. Michael, I can definitely agree with that sentiment. You know, my first year here, we didn't have a ton of opportunities outside of a pre-sanctified liturgy to attend on Wednesdays. And I remember my first Holy Week, um, I had just become an altar server and just seeing the mass amounts of tradition, the mass amounts of, you know, liturgics, everything in that was mm-hmm. just beautiful to me. Yeah. And in my former confession, we had services throughout the week, you know, our Holy Week, we had services just about every day, and there was a different air in the room. But since I've become Orthodox, you know, the fasting, the Triodian services before Great Land even starts, like everything, and then going right up to the end. Yeah. Going right up to Great and Holy Pascha. Like all of that is a great race that is run by each and every one of us. And we all experience it in different ways, but it's been a beautiful thing to see. And it's something that I do look forward to every year and being able to not necessarily push myself a little harder, but being able to see more each and every time. 
It's like going back to something, watching a movie and seeing something you didn't notice before. Mm-hmm. But it's much more deeper than that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we're definitely going to talk about Great Lent today in this episode. We've already started. We're going to talk about our journey to the empty tomb. And it is a journey. Now, journeys have a starting point, and they have a destination. Since we very recently began our journey, we thought it would be good to offer some of our thoughts and some advice based on our experiences, some of them very recent experiences, and hopefully it'll help to equip and and maybe even encourage all of you listening who are on the journey now or who may decide to start the journey in the near future. We're also going to get very practical in this episode. Bryce, you shared with me recently some very important feedback that we received from some of our listeners about this podcast, and I wanted to address it in this episode. The feedback we've received has continued to just be so overwhelmingly positive thus far from everyone. But one of the things that's been said is that we've done a good job of defining what the problems are that men are facing, but we really haven't been talking enough about what to do about it. And I think that's a fair criticism, and it's something that we're going to begin to address, starting with this episode. And there's no better topic to offer practical advice and solutions than the topic of Great Lent. So, I mean, one of the big things that we started this podcast for, you know, Michael and myself, was to kind of take a look at what the chaos is, you know, in this hectic world that we live in you know, especially how it affects our minds, how it affects us spiritually, you know, things of that nature. And the Lenten season, as we've mentioned before, is the time where a lot of these tools that the church will give us come out in their fullness. So fasting, almsgiving, prayer, all of these things really come to the forefront here. And as we mentioned, you know, having weekly services, having services almost every day, especially throughout Holy Week, those things can become very, very beneficial for us spiritually. And so everything is heightened during Great Lent, and we tend to need to raise the bar for ourselves during that time, however high it may be. For others, it may look a lot higher. For some, you're just getting started, you know, and that's fine because we all need to start somewhere, and we don't need to stay there. We need to start moving on in a different direction. And so if we are successful in this, it'll give us that extra chance to take a few huge steps forward in our spiritual lives. Yeah, and Great Lent itself is a gift from the church to all of us, but I wanted to stress that it's really what we make of it. We have to put effort into the journey if we want to grow from the experience. Otherwise, we create an empty journey to the empty tomb. Also, the journey is not an easy one, so I don't want to sugarcoat this for anyone who's listening. It isn't a walk in the park or a stroll on the beach. When we begin the journey and take it seriously, we will be attacked along the way. It is the journey of a warrior, so we must be prepared for the attacks that will come. The good news is that we can arm ourselves for the spiritual warfare that we will face, and we can actually take the fight to the enemy. We aren't helpless sitting ducks. The devil wants us to think that we are, but we really aren't. The key is we have to be vigilant, and we have to expect to be attacked. We have to know that it's coming. That way, when the attack comes, we can keep ourselves calm, cool, and collected and respond accordingly. Right. You know, and a lot of the time when people begin on this great journey, they stumble right away or very soon after they begin walking, and then they go, eh, I tried. 
that's it. You know, I mean, I myself, I've done that in the past, you know, where I may have kept the fast for a day or two, mm. which is minuscule. Right. But, you know, I, I kind of gave up and said, well, you know, I didn't do it perfect, so I can't do it over again. That's, it's fine if you don't start off perfect. Mm-hmm. And I think especially for Americans, when you tell them you need to begin eating fasting food, you know, and they're not used to it, mm. right? Like, I like eating burgers. I like eating chicken. No, oh, don't remind me. <laughs> you know, like, and we like to eat a lot of food, right? But yeah. if we're told, you got to restrict that a little bit. Right. Whether it be smaller portions or eating different foods, that can be almost insurmountable. At least it seems that way. But if you become discouraged, don't fret. You know, you may fall on your face every single day throughout the fast in one way or another. You may continue to be attacked, but you always need to stand back up. And these attacks look different depending on what it is. You know, some people may be drawn into sloth or laziness. Some people may be afflicted with prelest or akadia, you know, things of spiritual laziness or a false sense of spiritual superiority. And those things can hinder us when yeah. they can help us. But with a good relationship with our spiritual father and good community, I think it doesn't make it easier necessarily, but it helps lighten the load a bit. Yeah. And I really like what you said, Bryce, about the fact that, you know, you said something that I really can relate to. You said that we so often we may start great Lent with the best of intentions and we may have a few good days or we may start the first week in what we think is a perfect way and then something happens, right? And we we end up we end up falling off the fast. We end up, you know, just letting our prayer rule slip a little bit. And in those moments where you're like, oh man, I've just completely messed up everything. You know, it's it's unfortunate because some people just want to say, well, what's the point in continuing? Because I've already messed it up. And it's almost that kind of perfectionist mentality. It's the everything or nothing approach. But it really does us no good because the journey to the empty tomb is it's not an easy one. And it's not for a perfectionist. You know, we can expect too much of ourselves sometimes. We can be too hard on ourselves. I know I am. I know I'm my own worst critic. You know, and we can lose hope when we assume that we just can't do it, that it's too insurmountable. And we've already messed up, right? So the perfect Lent is no longer possible, right? And that's the temptation that goes into our mind where we think, well, what's the point? I really don't, I shouldn't need to do this anymore because I've already messed up. But the point is, like you were saying, you have to pick yourself up and you have to start again. And we can do it. We can start the journey And if we get sidetracked, we can get ourselves back on the correct path. The church gives us many ways to do this, but we're really going to focus in this podcast episode on five things. And we're going to give some very practical examples of each one. Those five things are, one, attending more services, two, reading scripture more often, three, increasing our prayer, four, fasting, and five, almsgiving. Doing all of these things, not just one or two of them, but all of these things brings us to a state of mind that is necessary for the deep cleaning of Great Lent to begin within our own souls. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, you know, I think Michael and I, among many others, have attempted to really bring these five things into our minds, of course, with the guidance of our spiritual fathers. And, you know, I mean, the first week of Great Lent, started off, you know, really cool. I'm like, all right, I'm doing this. I'm, you know, I'm on the right path. And then I think Wednesday, so Mm -hmm. barely two, three days in, 
could not think at all. Like my mind seemed to have left me, um, you know, trying to work on schoolwork, trying to do stuff like that. And it was very discouraging early on, you know, mm. because I was like, what's going on here? Why is this the case? And it lasted a couple of days, but there's always a phrase that I have in my head when it comes to things like that is this too shall pass. Mm. And this has a purpose. And so I think, you know, knowing that you're kind of on that right path of things are getting a little rougher right now and it may seem insurmountable, but it's not over. You just got to keep on the path. That's what I keep telling myself. And I think that, you know, it pushes you a little bit, it pushed me out of my comfort zone for sure. Cause I felt like a little kid, you know, Yeah. I had no idea what was going on. I felt like in that moment, because I tend to overthink things, I'm like, am I going to have to redo everything I've done for the last couple of years because I'm just having a hard time thinking. But I definitely think that our mind will play tricks with us. And if we can really bring it back to, you know, what the church offers in this time, being able to take advantage of that, um, not just to check off the boxes for the sake of doing them, but for our own spiritual well-being, like that's, that's a really important aspect. Yeah, Bryce, and you've mentioned something a couple of times now that I really wanted to kind of underline and highlight for our listeners. You know, you brought up the importance of consulting with a spiritual father, uh, with our father confessor in the church, who's usually the parish priest. You know, a lot of these things, prayer and fasting, for example, we really need to make sure that we're consulting with the priest, with our spiritual father, because we're all in different life circumstances. We're in different seasons of life. There's different ability levels. There's different levels of maturity and and spiritual growth that each of us, uh, it may differ from person to person. So self-prescribing is definitely not what we recommend, but what we can do is we can give some examples of things that have worked for us and maybe just flesh it out a little bit to kind of give people an idea of what it can look like. But again, I think it's important that we do stress all of this should be under the guidance of a spiritual father. It is such a key and important point. But again, those five things that I mentioned, we're going to dive into that and we're going to start with the first one. And the first one is just attending more services. And the one thing the Orthodox Church uh, gives us is the opportunity to attend lots of services during Great Lent. We mentioned the fact that there was a service every single night of the week in the first week of Lent. And there's there's just more there's more opportunities to go to church every single week during Lent and especially Holy Week, which is that week leading up to Pascha, leading up to Easter. So, I wanted to talk about this. I wanted to talk about what actually happens when we make more time for church in our lives. So during Great Lent, you know, Bryce and I, you mentioned this earlier, we made the decision we'd like to try to attend as many services as we possibly can. We don't normally go to church this often, so we have stepped things up. We've raised the bar. We're intentionally trying to make more time for church than we usually do, right? So what does that mean? It means that there's things that we normally do that we're deciding not to do. We're reprioritizing things. And things get a lot more busy because it's not like our other responsibilities have just gone away, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that's a a big barrier for some people is, oh, there's all these extra services. I just don't have time. But I really want to challenge everybody listening to this because I've done the same challenge to myself. Are those things that you're doing really that important where you can't make a slight adjustment to reprioritize? Are there things that you're doing that may be a bit trivial that 
really wouldn't be the end of the world if you stop doing them. And I'm talking about things like maybe the entertainment or the things that we do to unwind, the maybe news that we're watching in the evening. You know, because of the additional church services, if we simply reprioritize, it can be done, right, Bryce? Like we have been able to make those adjustments. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's a very it can be a very subtle thing at first. You know, because both you and I attended every service we could last week, with the exception of when we got snowed on. Yeah. Around here, there's no plows. So, but, you know, being able to see the services, being able to read the canon, you know, like that is so, it's very subtle, I think, Mm. because I think a lot of people, when they come into these things, you know, and I know this is sometimes what I expect, but you expect kind of this grandiose, you know, big life changing feeling at times, you know, like, oh, I'm starting the fast on the right, you know, on the right foot. Right. I'm going to church every day. Like, there's got to be a massive change that's going to happen. Maybe it's very subtle. You know, and one of the things that's emphasized at all of our Lenten services is the prayer of St. Ephraim the Syrian. Yeah. And that is such a beautiful prayer. And it's said so many times and just the subtleness of it, you know, for us to not focus on the sins of our neighbors, you know, the problems that other people may have and to focus on our own lives. Like that is very important, and we get that in going to these services. Yeah, Bryce, that's so true. And, you know, I know some of those that are listening to this podcast may have children. Some of them may have young children. And it may be a very kind of daunting thought about bringing your kids to church multiple times in the week when it may be a very big challenge to just get them there once a week on Sunday. You know, our priest, Father Paul Fuller, said just before Lent started, to a lot of especially our newer kind of inquirers and catechumens that have recently come to the church, he, he kind of gave a warning and said, look, some of these services are going to be a bit long. He said, you know, great compline with the canon of St. Andrew being done in those three kind of split services. It'll be about an hour and a half long, and we're talking, you know, three services plus pre-sanctified liturgy. And he was letting people know, look, that's something that your kids may not be used to. It may be harder for some of your kids to really get through that hour and a half long service. And I think that's a good pragmatic piece of advice for those who are maybe coming to the church where their kids aren't used to being in church already. And that's why it's important that this is something that we have to consider is different from person to person. Because people may be coming to the church and their kids, they have three kids that maybe are 8, 10, and 12 years old, and they just started coming to church with you. It's going to be a, a much different adjustment for those kids to get used to it. Now, it's obviously a much different situation for someone who's single and doesn't have kids or who is just starting to have kids. And this is where I really want to hit it home. Because, you know, in my experience, you know, I didn't take my faith, unfortunately, very seriously when I was younger and when my kids were younger, and I wasn't bringing them to church as often as I really should have. So now it's been an adjustment with my kids being older to try to catch up a little bit to explain the importance. And that's hard work. If I had it to do all over again, I would have been bringing my kids to church at every possible service that I could. I didn't get it back then. I wasn't bringing them as often as I should. So it took a little bit of an adjustment for them to kind of understand why church is so important. But if you start them at a young age, right? If you start your kids, it becomes normative. And Bryce, you and I have traveled to churches where we've seen this, where kids are being brought up 
in the church with the faith from the moment that they're born, they're immersed, right, in the different liturgical services, and it is normative to them. So the advice that I mentioned that Father Paul gave may not apply to those kinds of families. Or if there's an inquirer or a catechumen in the Orthodox Church that's just starting to have kids and they have maybe a baby, why wouldn't you bring that child to every possible service that you could? It looks completely different is my point. No, yeah, absolutely. And being you know a young single person watching from the chanter stand at a lot of these, um, a lot of these services, you know, being able to see kids kind of see it you know i like i like to observe people in in their environments right and seeing how kids operate being able to see them in the services and the way they respond is they respond to how their parents are acting Mm. in church and i think we are very blessed in our parish and i think most parishes around the world to see a lot of families that really really care Mm -hmm. they're here for a reason they're not just here to check a mark off the box. You know, they want to be in this building. They want to be in these services. They want to worship because they think it is important for them and for their children, right? And so being able to see, you know, babies in church, being able to see teenagers, mm-hmm. young adults, everybody's here and they really want to be here, I think. And even the challenge of getting yourself here, you know, there's some days where I'm middle of the day, I got some stuff I need to do. Don't think I'm going to make it and I end up coming anyway. Those things I never regret. Yeah. Because this is so much more important at this point in time for me and I think for many other people to be in this building and to see these services. And I think anybody listening, you know, if you are Orthodox or if you're not and you do attend church regularly, there's a reason you're doing it. And it's not just to check off a box. It's not just, you know, X or Y social, you know, social club for you. It's because you care. Yeah. And I want to especially talk to the fathers that are out there that, that have children. You know, if you have children that are teenagers and you're, you're coming to an Orthodox church for the first time, it may take a while to get them to the point where they're comfortable coming to church more often. And I'm not ignorant of the fact that that's going to be a challenge. You're going to have to have a lot of difficult conversations, but that's the hard work that we as men have to do if we're going to be fathers and priests of our household. To really fulfill that role means having difficult conversations with maybe our wives, maybe our older children, and then having enough love to love them enough to have these conversations so that we can hopefully incrementally start adding a little bit more at a time to see that upward progress. Now, again, for you fathers out there who are having kids that are just starting to have kids and they're young, my recommendation, what you can do is bring them to as many of these services as possible. Because, and again, we have seen this, kids that are brought up in the church and they're brought to so many services, it is normative to them. And that becomes less of a barrier, and then you have the opportunity to truly take advantage of all the benefits in the church to help you to raise a child and to follow Christ. I want to jump to the next topic now, and number two was reading Scripture more often. And I've said this before, I think this is something we as Orthodox Christians, myself included, can do a much better job of. And one of the things that we do here in our church, as you know, Bryce, is we have scripture reading groups during fasting seasons. We did that during the Nativity Fast, and we started it up again during Great Lent. 
So one piece of advice I think a lot of people can benefit from is to try to organize groups of people within your community, within your parish, to kind of split up like we do in our church, the Psalms. You know, we read a group of Psalms and we split it up with so many different people. And then what ends up happening is a different group of people is reading a set of Psalms each night. So the Psalms, the entire book of Psalms end up getting read completely every single night. And everybody ends up reading the full book of Psalms twice during the fast of Great Lent. And it's a beautiful communal thing that you know others in your community are a part of that. And as you're reading the Psalms, there are other people that you know, friends of yours, that are reading maybe the next section of the Psalms. That's something that I know has really helped keep me on track, especially during the recent fasting seasons. And it's helped to force me to read scripture more often, which is something that I think all of us can probably do, especially myself. You know, if you really find that time of day where you're, you're going to make that commitment, I'm going to read scripture more often. And so maybe you do it right before or after your evening prayers. I happen to actually do my Psalm reading right after my evening prayers. I go right into reading with my wife, the Psalms that were assigned for that evening. And it's a really beautiful thing because Although, you know, it's the end of the day and you feel tired and you think, oh, now I have to read, you know, 10, 15 minutes. It's only 10 or 15 minutes. And again, what are those things that we could possibly replace that we're doing for 10 or 15 minutes? I know that a lot of times I lay in bed and I'm scrolling through my phone. I might be looking at social media. I might be going through and looking at all my apps that have notifications, right, that I have to check. That probably takes about 15 minutes. And during the the fast of Great Lent, if I replace that with doing some psalm reading, there's definitely benefits to that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for those of you who are familiar with the daily readings of the church during Great Lent, most of our readings during the week are from the Old Testament. So we begin with Genesis and Proverbs and then move on into the prophecy of Isaiah. And for me, I really made a genuine effort during this fast to begin listening to the scriptures being read. So I wake up in the morning, I do my morning prayers, and then I do some stretching. And while I'm doing my stretching, I will put in the daily readings, Mm. um, which I listen to Ancient Faith Radio's The Path in the Morning, which is nice because the priest who does it, he does a scripture reading, and then he gives you commentary from the church fathers on the readings can be really easy to let those things go in one ear and out the other. Just like when you're reading something, you're not really reading it. Your eyes are just scanning the page. But this has been very important for me because all of these readings have a purpose. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Psalter is read at almost every single Orthodox service. Yeah. Right? And so being able to do that during Great Lent, especially with so many people reading it all at the same time, reading different sections, that's incredible. Yeah. You know, and being able to see that, because I remember my former confession, you know, the scriptures were very, very well emphasized. Mm -hmm. And people being able to not just quote it, but to live it, Mm -hmm. I thought that was cool. And so since becoming Orthodox, seeing the emphasis on the scripture in our parish, you know, in our churches, not just our own individual parish, but in the faith itself, being able to take on a small part of that for yourself and being able to see it, you know, read it, hear it, that's very, it can be very life-changing. And again, it's a small, subtle thing, but it's a start of something. Yeah. And you know, one of the coolest things, Bryce, is I've been doing my Psalm readings in this first kind of week and a half 
of Great Lent, as I've been reading, and my wife and I will kind of take turns, I'm reading Psalms that I've read in the services, and I recognize them. There's so much of the Psalms in our liturgical services, like you were saying. And it's incredible because it's like when I get to that part, I can recognize what service it's from, where I've said it or I've heard it said before. It's like you're it's like you're visiting an old friend. It's like you're replaying or you're entering back into that liturgical experience. And it's a very beautiful thing. And I found myself being able to enter into a deeper state of prayer by doing that, because I know that these are Psalms that we read at different important times during the liturgical year. There may be some people listening to this, though, where they think, wow, reading 10 to 15 minutes of Psalms, that sounds like a lot especially if you're just starting out. I mean, we have people coming to the Orthodox Church, in some cases with no faith background. Maybe they haven't even read the Bible. So that might not be the best first step for someone like that. And again, when you talk to a spiritual father, when you talk to the priest of a parish, tell the priest exactly what your life circumstances are, what your background is. The priest is going to want to get to know you so that he can help you to prescribe what's right for your situation. I remember Bryce, and I know you've heard this from Bishop Nicholas, he knows there are some who are just starting out. Well, he'll just say, read one verse out of the Bible, maybe out of the New Testament, for example, in a day. If you can just read one verse that takes maybe just a few seconds in some cases, and just do that, you're setting yourself up for success, and it's very achievable. And then once you can get that down, then maybe a little bit more gets added by your spiritual father when they know that you're serious and you're having success, but you don't want to set something for yourself that's unachievable. You know, you wouldn't start out, for example, where you're going to tell yourself, I'm going to read five chapters out of the New Testament every day. You just simply may not have the time for that. And then if you do end up not making that one day, you're just making it harder on yourself because then you think, man, I failed. And this is something that I just can't do. Right. I mean, really setting heights that are too high to reach can be very discouraging. I mean, it's like, you know, we're going to get to this eventually, but talking about fasting, like people who want to be very militant and regimented with their fasting and then they fail on day two. Yeah. Everything comes apart. But if you begin small, right? Like, I'm just doing the daily scripture readings. That's a lot mm-hmm. for me, man. Mm-hmm. Like, it can be rough to kind of really get yourself into, I need to do this. But Bryce, I bet a few years ago, that's not what you were doing. No, no. I I hardly read the scriptures mm. a few years ago, and not because of any, you know, arrogance toward it or anything like that. I just, it wasn't a priority at the time. Because and you, I, it was all new to you, right? Yeah, I mean, to some degree it was. You it know? was new to make that such an intentional daily routine. Right, right. You know, and and the nice thing, again, we have our calendars from our parish, which has every daily scripture reading listed. Yeah. And being able to do that, you know, if you have an Orthodox study Bible, it gives you the footnotes on a lot of this stuff, you know. What did St. John Chrysostom say about Genesis 1? Like, that's cool to see all that, you know, context from somebody who lived... 16, 1700 years ago. Yeah. So, you know, what what we can really look to is making those incremental improvements. You know, maybe you start with one verse of scripture a day. That may be something your spiritual father encourages you to do. Then maybe you work up to a few verses and then maybe one full chapter a day. The key is not to bite off more than you can chew and to make sure that you make small incremental improvements. And it's easier done when you're setting attainable goals like that. 
I would challenge anybody listening to this podcast, how well do you know scripture? I know I've challenged myself. I've looked at myself in the mirror and said, how well do I know scripture? And I know that I don't know it well enough. So we have to make reading scripture a focus. And if we raise the bar during Great Lent by attending more services, there's no reason why we can't also add a little bit more scripture reading. And then when Great Lent concludes, it becomes more normative to us. And scripture reading does become really an everyday thing, even when we're not in a fasting period. Now let's move on to the third topic, and that's increasing our prayer. Now we've talked about in past episodes the importance of having a prayer rule. And again, I'm going to put the caveat out there. It is so important that we seek the guidance of a spiritual father when we're developing a prayer rule. We shouldn't just create one for ourselves. We also just shouldn't decide, you know, I'm just going to pray when I feel like praying. We have to be intentional about when we're going to pray. If we only pray when we feel like praying, you'd be surprised how you probably don't do it very often. At least I don't in my experience. No, that's true. I think it can be very much of a challenge just to read, you know, the Trisagion prayers for Mm. some people. So again, it's very important that we consider where we're at, where we're starting at, and what is right for us. So we have to talk to our spiritual father about that. A prayer rule is going to look very different from person to person. So One of the other things Bishop Nicholas really recommends is a simple prayer rule for somebody that's just starting out could just be to say the Lord's Prayer once in a day. That's just a very simple, practical prayer rule for somebody who's just starting out. It could just be saying the Lord's Prayer. Now, something might be added to that. You may end up taking on a little bit more once you've consistently been able to say just the simple Lord's Prayer once a day. Our Antiochian.org website for Archdiocese actually has morning prayers, midday prayers, and evening prayers. So I'll just share that in my family, we do our best to make sure that we at least say the evening prayers as many days out of the year as we can. There are some days that unfortunately, we, I'll just be honest, have not done it. But during Great Lent, we try to step it up a little bit more. We try to add the morning prayers which is usually very difficult in my household if I'm getting the kids ready for school and I'm trying to get them, you know, dropped off on time. It means that I may have to wake up a little bit earlier. The midday prayers are particularly a challenge for me because in a lot of us, I think, out there who are in the business world can relate. It's just hard in the middle of a work day to remember, oh, I have to say a prayer. But you know, Bryce, sometimes I've set my alarm for 2 p.m. in the afternoon to just go off and tell me, hey, I need to say this midday prayer. If we raise the bar by going to more church services, by reading more scriptures, there's probably something that we can do to our prayer rule where we're raising the bar there as well. That can be as simple as just adding the midday prayers if you're already saying the morning prayers and the evening prayers. If you're interested in what those prayers even look like, go to antiochian.org. You know, it's on that website. Or just Google search, morning prayers, Antiochian. Since we're in the Antiochian Archdiocese, that's been my go-to. But there's many examples of prayers that can be said in the morning or in the evening just before bed. Prayers before mealtimes, we've talked about this before. There's even a little red prayer book that you can take with you to work, to the office. And again, making sure that you intentionally carve out time to say those prayers. I'll tell you something else, Bryce, that's worked out well for me is, you know, I live by my Outlook calendar. Sometimes I'll actually schedule in 15 minutes in the afternoon to remind myself 
I need to go and find a small huddle conference room and to say those prayers. And being that intentional about it and realizing that I have to force myself into a prayer discipline, it can really make all the difference. Yeah, absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head, Michael, just kind of talking about, you know, a prayer rule in general. Because forcing yourself when you wake up in the morning, instead of laying there and staring at your phone, as I myself am prone to doing, getting up and reading the prayers out of the little red prayer book, which is the one that I also use, that sets the tone for the day. Yeah, it really does. And you might, you know, be groggy. Same thing with wanting to go to bed. Like, you know, you might be at the end of the day, you didn't do them at dinner, you're doing them at 1130 at night, and you got to be up in six hours. Mm Mm-hmm. You just want to go to bed, but put in that effort, man, even if it's just a small thing, you know, or seemingly small, because it may seem small to go to services throughout the week. It may seem small to, you know, read the scriptures every day, but these things are for our benefit and that's why they're there. And to continue to work them out, I mean, perhaps your prayer rule may never be something that's grandiose and, you know, all these huge, long prayers that you say at the end of the day. That doesn't matter. Yeah. I think what matters in that situation is you're putting forth that effort. And you may never really, you know, be able to do them without any distraction. Because I know, Michael, when I stand up and I start doing them, thoughts begin to enter my mind. Mm -hmm. Thinking about what I got to do tomorrow, you know, thinking about what I ate today, whatever it may be. Or that cheeseburger I didn't have today. (laughs) Right, right. You know, or an argument that I had earlier or something. Like all these thoughts begin to assail you and that should not let you give up. Yeah. Right? You're saying them is a good thing. And, you know, putting forth that effort, it's good. And that's, I mean, a very, very basic way to describe it, but I think it's a good thing. And again, it's a, it's about establishing a discipline and becoming intentional about the fact that this is something that we do at different points in the day. You know, when our lives have more structure, when we have a clear routine set up and we're making time for God, right? That is one of the best things that we can do to start to come out of the chaos that's around us, because we're truly putting our life in order, and we're putting God at the top of the priority list, which I can honestly say I haven't done enough. So these are the kinds of tools that the church gives us, and that we, especially during Great Lent, can really use to our advantage to help make spiritual growth, progress, and to prioritize things in the proper way. Let's move on to the big topic now, Bryce, of fasting. That's the fourth topic. And you mentioned this earlier. You gave us a little teaser for how important it is. And I wanted to start by reading a quote from St. John Chrysostom on fasting as a little bit of a primer for this topic. So here's the quote from St. John Chrysostom. Do you fast? Then feed the hungry. Give drink to the thirsty. Visit the sick. Do not forget the imprisoned. Have pity on the tortured. Comfort those who grieve and who weep. Be merciful, humble, kind, calm, patient, sympathetic, forgiving, reverent, truthful, and pious, so that God might accept your fasting and might plentifully grant you the fruits of repentance. You know, wow, Bryce, That quote, it's amazing how there's not much about food in that quote. (laughs) Right, right, because it's not the emphasis necessarily. He didn't say check the ingredients on the box, make absolutely sure there's no egg or dairy, 
or the hint of it, or that it was made in a factory that may have contained eggs or dairy. You get what I'm saying, right? Of course. Of course. That's not, you know, again, that's, I have to check every single box. Right. You know, it's, it's much more than just watching very strictly what you're putting into your body for the sake of watching that. Right. And I think St. John Chrysostom in that quote, he's getting to the point. Yeah. Which, you know, we're not just doing this to not eat something. Mm -hmm. It needs to have a purpose behind it. Yeah. And that purpose is not so much about giving something up. And I think in the West, the mentality for Great Lent, especially with some of our maybe Roman Catholic friends, has been, we're sacrificing something. We're going to give something up. And that really is not the point. You know, earlier in my life, Bryce, I, I mentioned earlier, I disregarded the fast quite a bit. I really didn't take it seriously. I didn't see the point. I really didn't think, you know, one of the things I used to think, I'll share this with you, I'll confess to you, I thought vegetarians had it easy. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. There's vegetarians that don't even eat meat. And so I'm right, supposed to right. give it up. Right? Exactly. And you hear what I just said, give it up? <laughs> right, because it seems to be, yeah, again, if you're looking at it through that mindset, oh, that's easy for them. Right. Especially if you're just looking at it from face value. Yeah, and it wasn't until I became older, Bryce, and really studied why we fast. Like, why do we fast, really? And got to the why behind it. It's more about taking back control of the things that are controlling us. Our stomach the foods that we crave, that we so easily, especially I think in this country that is very rich and filled with wonderful restaurants and all kinds of, you know, even channels dedicated to foods. And, you know, and there's nothing wrong with food necessarily, but we kind of worship it at some point. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a whole kind of subculture of worship of food, in my opinion. And it really affects all of us, myself included. I mean, we all love eating really good food. And it's not evil per se to enjoy it, but... There are a lot of people that struggle with making that the focus, really, of, of too many things in their day. Right, right. You know, I mean, like, it can be, you know, what am I going to eat today? Yeah. Like, I mean, we're told not to worry about that. Right. Right. But it can be very, I mean, I know what you say, like, there's always this kind of phrase among a lot of my friends, you know, phone eats first. Mm. Got to get that picture for the social media. Or you get to the office, like, where are we going for lunch today? Right, right. right. Or, oh, I want to have a really good dinner tonight. I'm going to stop by the store and get the best piece of steak I can get. It's always about looking forward to having that best meal experience you can. Right. And it's because when something tastes really good, man, your mind changes. And again, that in and of itself is not inherently a bad thing. Mm -hmm. But if we take a step back and look at this, you know, like you mentioned, Michael, what is the why? And it isn't simply just sacrificing something Mm -hmm. because it's much more than a sacrifice i think yeah i think it is trying to take control of your stomach yeah which can really reorient you know your purpose at times yeah and it creates more of a disciplined approach to your day and it carries over into your spiritual life because when your belly is full maybe you've eaten too much food. I've been there many times, Bryce, where I've had a lot to eat and I know I've eaten too much. You know, how do you feel? You feel lethargic. You just want to kind of lay on the couch, or I know I do, or lay in bed and you're just like, oh, I just, Thanksgiving comes to mind, right? Where you're eating a bunch of turkey and stuffing and all that stuff. It's game over at that point. Yeah. And you go for seconds and you're just stuffed, Mm -hmm. right? And 
what kind of a state of mind are you in when that happens? I know I'm not looking to go to my prayer corner. <laughs> no. I'm not making God the priority. And again, it's to this point where we've made ourselves so comfortable, we think, but then it gets to the point where we don't even feel comfortable anymore, and it just becomes this kind of negative experience. So it can actually, when taken too far, become something that that hurts us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I remember my first Great Lent, I looked up the fasting rules. You know, things like no oil, mm-hmm. various days of the week, you know, no wine. You know, you can't eat any red meat, no dairy, no eggs, you know, nothing. I'm Basically like, vegan, right? Exactly. I mean, it's exactly vegan, you know. And I took a look at that. I'm like, I have to do all this? <laughs> and I jumped right in. Yeah. And that was a mistake at the time for me. Because you went all the way, right away. Well, I and, and I think... And again, the thing about it was I didn't understand the why. Mm. I just saw this as something I have to do. Mm. And I began to look at myself as being better than other people yeah. that I knew who weren't orthodox. You know, oh, I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. I'm giving this up. It made you feel good about yourself. Yeah, yeah and, I've been and, there. And yeah. that was the exact opposite <laughs> reason. You know, one term that comes up during times of year, such as Great Lent, um, for a lot of orthodox is the term of plate watching. Yep. You know, oh, that guy over there, he's not following the fast like I am. What's his deal? Again, <laughs> right. that's the wrong mentality to have. And I remember um, seeing a, a comic on Facebook from Steve Robinson, who used to have a podcast on Asian Faith Radio called Our Life in Christ with Bill Gold. Mm-hmm. And he, I think he wrote this comic himself. But, you know, somebody just yelling road rage, you know, <laughs> angry at everybody, you know, awful mood. Yeah, and they go to Starbucks and they say, "No cream, please. I'm fast." <laughs> I think I remember seeing that. That's a great visual. It's missing the point. It right? is. You're right. It does miss the point. And you know, and I don't want people to kind of freak out when they hear, especially the rules that you mentioned. You know, wine and oil and no dairy and all these different rules with the fasting. There are rules, and there are there are rules in the church that have been followed but again if you're just starting out in fasting i remember father john atchison our former priest before he retired you know a lot of the advice he would give to people who were just starting to fast for the first time he would just say start with no red meat you know he gave that to me even a few years ago when i came back to the church and yeah, i started me as well. yeah he said just you're starting from scratch so why don't you just cut out the red meat and i also have a family. I had kids at home that needed to eat, and they weren't used to fasting. You know, my uh, my wife. I'm remarried, and my wife was new to Orthodoxy, and she wasn't like fasting was completely new to her. Right. You can't just go like zero to Saint Paisios overnight, <laughs> right? <laughs> you can't just go in yeah. and and just force all of these strict rules right off the bat. You have to ease into it, and that's why again having a spiritual father directing you is so important. But you know, there's other there's other factors that we have to also consider. Some people have medical concerns, right? They have medical conditions where there's certain things that they can't cut out of their diet. You know, these are the kinds of things you need to talk about with your priest because you shouldn't feel bad if you have to be eating something because of a medical problem. Fasts are designed to be customized for people depending on their on their situation, on their circumstances. Just like we were talking about with increasing prayer or how much scripture you should read, right? Even attending services with your kids. We we started talking about in some cases you might want to ease your kids into it a little bit instead of, you know, all of a sudden no church to Every day of the week, that's going to be a shock. Right, right, right. And I mean, again, 
it's baby steps. Yeah. And it's very subtle, but all this stuff does have a purpose. You know, like that old fasting rule that Father John gave you and myself at, at different times. You know, that could be a challenge to just not eat a burger. Yeah. You know, it's very easy and convenient to go to McDonald's and get a McDouble. There's your, there, I remember the first year, I even, I remember Bryce, I went to lunch and ordered burger forgetting that I had I had actually made the decision to not eat red meat. Right. And I ended up eating it. And then I, so I, did, I failed, mm-hmm. but that didn't mean that I stopped. It meant that I just made sure that I started over again. Exactly. Yeah. And you don't have to get down on yourself because, wow, it actually slipped my mind. Or somebody offered me something at the office that wasn't a fasting option and I ate it and I didn't think about it before I ate it. Well, they offered it to me. Right, right. And that, and that is an important thing to remember too, is, you know, I used to work at a local barbecue place here and, you know, getting to talk to some people, very few people know what orthodoxy is. And if mm-hmm. they do, they probably don't even know our fasting rule, but being offered things, you know, it is more important to be hospitable to someone than to be very, very strict yes. about a lot of things. And to remember, again, you know, you you may fall from this, but you don't give up. Yeah. Right? And that takes a certain degree of will. And it takes a certain degree of trust that, you know, all right, I fell off the wagon today. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean I'm permanently off and I'm left. I can get back on. Yeah. Right? And not necessarily as an excuse, but as an encouraging word. Exactly, Bryce. Let's move on to the fifth and final topic here, and that is almsgiving. With prayer and fasting and almsgiving, you know, those are kind of the big three, the big three pillars that we hear about, especially from the clergy when we approach Great Lent. We should focus on prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And almsgiving seems to be the one of the three that's the most often neglected or forgotten about or not talked about as much. A lot of people will talk about increasing their prayer and their fasting, but the almsgiving part, it sometimes just kind of gets missed. Myself included. I've had years where I haven't made it as much of a focus, and I focused more on the other two, and and that's an imbalance. You know, Bryce, one of the, the concepts that we hear about from the Orthodox Church and from the clergy is that when we're fasting, you know, theoretically, we're spending less money on food. And so the excess money that we have, we should give to the poor. And that's one example of how we can really do almsgiving by giving money to the poor, by actually giving to charities, by giving back the money that we're not using on the food that we're used to eating. And that's one good example. But, you know, giving to charitable causes is only one way of almsgiving. It's not the only way. And I wanted to bring up a very practical example on this. You know, in our church, we recently started a ministry called Orthodox Christians for Life. And Orthodox Christians for Life, it's abbreviated OC Life. It's a pro-life organization. There's about 17 or so churches that now have a parish affiliation, a ministry in their parish with the national organization. And our church is one of them. And we actually had somebody from a local charity. It's a Christian-based charity called Compassion House come and visit us and talk to our OC Life group. Compassion House is a charity that brings in teenagers who have unexpected pregnancies. They literally give them a place to live, and they teach them life skills and help them and equip them for when their baby comes so that they can keep the baby. And it's offering a wonderful alternative to abortion, which unfortunately a lot of teenagers end up doing because they just can't see themselves having a child and having that kind of responsibility. 
So we had the CEO of Compassion House talking to us, and we had just done, you know, a donation drive. It was actually during the Nativity Fast. We collected money from people who were donated. We collected supplies, you know, diapers, food items, different things that they could use at Compassion House. And when the CEO came, I had a kind of sidebar conversation and talked about how they have a garden on the premises. And we also happen to have a community garden in our church. And she was kind of admiring our garden. And I said, yeah, our men have have kind of helped with the garden and, and helped with laying some mulch and installing fencing. And she's like, oh, we have a garden too. And we really need to have some work done. And so our men actually decided, you know what, we're going to have a work day and help Compassion House with their garden. And you know what, that is a version of almsgiving. We're not necessarily giving money. We did actually raise money for them and a lot of people donated to them, but we followed up with them and we decided that we're going to go and we're going to do some heavy lifting for them in their garden. We're donating of ourselves. We're donating our time. We're donating the strength that our men have that can maybe lift things that the ladies that are working there at Compassion House can't do themselves. You know, Bryce, that's an act of almsgiving. And all it took was a side conversation and somebody to just organize to keep in contact with them and to pick a day that the men from our church can go and help them out. And then our gardening team here at the church were like, well, hey, you guys can't go over and have all the fun. And they wanted to join in. It became contagious, right? And our OC Life people that actually are in that pro-life ministry at our church, they wanted to get involved. So we have three different ministry groups now working together in synergy. That's what it's all about. It's finding creative ways to give back and to serve the community at large. And you don't always have to give financially. You can give some of your time. You can donate your time and volunteer and help a charity, a local charity. It doesn't have to be an Orthodox Christian charity. It can just be a Christian organization. You know, we can't always look within just the walls of our church for opportunities to serve. And when we do service projects like this, it's a great way of giving alms during the season of Great Lent. You know, Michael, being able to see the relationship that this parish began with OC Life merely four months ago, snowballing into having, you know, this partnership with the local organization and then being able to help them with, you know, their garden. Like, that's a big thing. Yeah. And, you know, so many people at the parish wanting to be involved with that, you know, seeing it in our Antiochian men group here, a lot of guys really excited to go, yes, I want to contribute and I want to help with this. Um, I really do think it's a beautiful thing. And again, that's seemingly small, but that's a big contribution. And many hands are making the workload much lighter. Yeah, and we have to try to think of, kind of out-of-the-box ways to give alms. It's not just about writing a check. There's other ways that, that we can engage in almsgiving, and it just means maybe we need to plan together. We need to reach out and find who are the local charities around us that maybe could use some extra manpower. That's one thing that even if somebody doesn't have a lot of money that they can give to the poor, they can donate their time, right? They can offer of themselves. They can offer their strength. They can offer their, their presence just to be there and to help out. You know, there are charities that are looking for volunteers. And when we're in a fasting season like Great Lent, it's the perfect time to really kind of make that a focus. And then hopefully, God willing, it becomes something that becomes normative in the parish, even when you're not in a fast and becomes something regular. And developing relationships with local charities is a great way to try to find ways to do almsgiving. So I would encourage anyone listening to this, organize within your parishes. If you have a men's group, Talk to the leader of that men's group. If you're the leader, 
Start looking for what opportunities could exist in your very city, in your small community. I guarantee you that there are going to be opportunities to do that. It doesn't always have to be about giving money. There are other ways to give, and we just have to get creative sometimes with how we do it. So Bryce, everything we just talked about, attending more services, reading scripture more often, praying more, fasting, and almsgiving, it all may sound like a great roadmap for this journey we were talking about. It may sound intimidating to some of our listeners or even maybe an impossible undertaking, but I'm here to tell everyone listening that it is not impossible, and you have to start somewhere. The most important thing is that you start and that you don't do any of these things in isolation. They all have to be incorporated together. Also, don't put it off and think, you know, this all sounds great, maybe next year, maybe the year after. All the things we discussed are essential for a successful Lenten journey, but they can also be done to some extent during the rest of the year as well. Make a commitment to yourself today, right now. I really mean it right now. Make a commitment to your wife. Make a commitment to your children. If you aren't married and don't have children yet, make a commitment to your future wife and to your future children or to the people you haven't met yet who you will become a mentor to one day. Do it for your current godchildren if you have them. If not, do it for your future godchildren. I'm serious. The journey may break you down a bit. And that's actually a good thing. We need to be broken down. We need to break down our pride, and in many cases, the facade that we put up for others to see. We need to become physically weak to become spiritually strong. You're going to be on edge. I'm going to be straight with you. It's not always going to be pretty. The people around you will be on edge too if they embark on the same journey with you. You may find yourself with a really short fuse. Things that don't usually get to you may start getting to you. You might get in an argument or a fight with your wife, with your children, or some of your friends. Then you might beg their forgiveness once you shift the focus to your own sins and not of that of your brother. And it's going to be hard. I know this. It's not an easy journey. But this just means when it happens that you're on to something. That is what the purification process looks like and feels like. All the imperfections come to the surface within us and we're given the opportunity to deal with them. Then we can repent from sins that we didn't even know were there, and we can become transformed in the process. And then as we arrive at the empty tomb of Christ, we can participate in his glorious resurrection and celebrate the Feast of Feasts in its fullness. In this journey that we go on throughout the fast, we need to remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination is. And each of us, we're going to have different challenges come up along the way, right? Challenges that we may have never seen before. Things that mess with our minds, our well-being, our general state that we may be in. Any of those things, we can't just brush off necessarily, but we can grow stronger after having gone through them. You know, some of the things that I may have struggled with in the last fast, be it keeping the fast at all or temptations or challenges of their own kind that may not be here today but it all has a purpose behind it and i think you know being able to take in these kind of five core things that we've been talking about in today's episode you know attending more services 
reading the scriptures, increasing your prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Each and every one of these things operates not just for our own well-being, but also for the well-being of others around us. You know, I like to think of this quote by St. Gregory Palamas when talking about the fast. And he says, The outward man perishes through fasting and self-control, but the more he does so, the more the inward man is renewed. And I think that's something that is important to remember. You know, we may grow a little physically weaker, but our inner man, if he can grow, then there's endless possibility. And not just, you know, in terms of self-success or anything like that, but our spiritual well-being, our spiritual lives grow. And when we reach the end of this great journey and we hear Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death, it has an entirely new meaning that we may have never heard before. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Coming Out of Chaos. Remember to check out our website at antiochianmen.org to learn more about our organization. We also have many videos available that can be found on that website as well as on our Amen YouTube channel, so please check those out. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and any of the major podcasting platforms. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. We'd greatly appreciate a positive review if the platform allows you to do so. Please share this podcast with your friends and help us to spread the word about it. If anyone would like to send us any feedback, just send an email to amendomse at gmail.com. That's A-M-E-N-D-O-M-S-E at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you if you have any questions or comments for us. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.